Hi, I'm Roxanne Serta, and I'm the Acquisitions Editor for CNT Publishing. I've been acquiring books for nearly 20 years, and the past seven of those have been here at CNT. Through my job, I get the privilege of meeting countless designers, authors, and industry professionals who all do amazing things with their creativity. I'll be bringing some of those quilting and stitching personalities to this podcast to share their amazing stories and insider information. Download the latest episodes and get to know great crafters, learn the backstories behind events and people, and hear funny stories from people living the crafty life. Hi, my guest in this episode is Judy Martin. Judy is a veteran quilt designer, author, and publisher. She spent time as an editor and principal pattern designer for Quilter's Newsletter, went on to found her own publishing company, Crosley Griffith, in 1987, and is still creating new designs. So welcome, Judy. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Um, I know you're always busy. Not so busy lately. I've been... I've been indulging myself in doing Wordle and Sudokus and things like that more than any person has a right to. (laughs) It's all good. I love the brain games. Um, Well, and so you and I just worked on a book together, uh, Red, White, and Blue Star Quilts. And I realized that was the 24th book that you've published, which is quite an accomplishment. For a long period of time. It's still a lot of books, I can tell you. Um, so who was it that inspired you when you first started quilting? Well, it wasn't who so much as um, I had been sewing since I was a small child. My dad gave me a sewing machine when I was two, a little hand crank. And um, my mother sewed all the time. I never had a store-bought dress. And so sewing was second nature to me when I was in my second year of college. I wanted a quilt for my bed. I'd heard of quilts. I'd never seen one. My mother didn't make quilts. And um, so I figured I'll just make one. And uh, I thought I'd be really original instead of, I assumed quilts were made from all uniform squares. And I made mine out of squares and rectangles and felt so smug that I had done something so original. (laughs) So it it. was just, I wanted to have something for my apartment. Oh, excellent. Well, and you know, you did, you did go from that starting point um, to the point where you were ready to start your own publishing company. And there's one thing that I've actually always wanted to ask you. Hmm. um, And that is why the name Crosley Griffith, because you're a Martin, your husband's a Bennett. And so where did the name come from? Well, we wanted, we thought maybe we would write novels someday. And, um, we wanted to sound like a real publishing company. So we thought some, some name like that. And since there was already a St. Martin's press and actually my family name is St. Martin and got, it got inadvertently changed at some point to Martin. And I didn't, I didn't, and I didn't want to do that. So, and I also didn't want to sound like my home uh, publishing company, you know, cause I wanted to sound like a real publishing company. So mm-hmm. we just, uh, combined names of my husband's a big baseball fan and he's made me one too and uh, we combined names of two uh, ballparks classic ballparks they aren't necessarily the ones we like but they were the ones that were available for you know not already taken for big businesses nice that's interesting it's not the answer I was expecting um, but I've always wondered (laughs) 
<laughs> well, and you know what? We made it a family name by um, putting it as our son's middle name. Crosley is his middle name. Oh, nice. So now it yeah, is. Say it's a family name. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet it will be, you know, for quite some time. Well, maybe. I don't know if we'll have kids, so <laughs> we may not be having another generation. So. Well, you never know. Um, somebody else might pick it up too. Um, when in your biography, you noted that you've designed and published more original patterns than anyone in history. Um, and I have reason to know that you recently actually counted all of them. So can you share how many quilts you've designed? Um, 1269 published. And the, I didn't actually count them. My computer counted them when I put them in the Encyclopedia of Duty Martin Blocks and Quilts. Twelve hundred. Yeah, it's twelve thirteen hundred is a lot of quilts to have published. Yeah, I can't count past about ten without you know <laughs> getting confused about whether I already counted that number. So, um, so I let my computer do it for me. So, does that number count the quilts that you designed while you were on staff at Quilters Newsletter? Yes. Okay. It does. I don't own the rights to those, but I can put them in an encyclopedia. So it does count okay. those. All right. I was and it counts. I, and I updated the book after I made my newest book. So it counts that. There you go. I was wondering if you were undercounting. I thought you might have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have hundreds of files that I haven't published yet that aren't counted. They're just, okay. I just have, I have files that I hardly ever look at that are in um, paper form in file folders. And I also have a computer files since I've been working in the computer these last decades. Well, and speaking of which, you've had a four decade in counting um, and counting career, giving quilters like the patterns, tools and guidance they need to do their very best work. That's how you prefer to phrase it. Um, and after working with you, I get that. Um, mm -hmm. it, when we were working on red, white and blue quilts, you kept mentioning other, you know, the, the extra things that you were going to offer. And I thought it would just be like this little thing here, this little project there. Um, and I think it was I 80 pages worth. Um, it it I, is 80 pages worth. It's a lot. So why do you <laughs> offer so much extra content? Why do I do that? Yeah. Uh, I, some of my quilts are not um, using the, the most standard, um, methods or the shapes that are most common. And so I like to give quilters options for different methods for doing that if they have a special tool or if they don't have a special tool. And um, uh, so, so I just give them the extras, but I don't, I, I gave it to them as extras because putting an extra 80 pages in a 96 page book would nearly double the price. So, um, so I, I just give it to them online as extras. Most people have at least to have a friend who can access that material for them if they don't have a computer. Can you kind of talk through a little bit? So this, so just so people, if they haven't seen it yet, Red, White, and Blue Quilts is a book of, oh, like you said, 96 pages worth of quilts that are either red and white, blue and white, or red, white, and blue. Um, how many did we fit in there? I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, well, 16 or 23, depending on if you're counting the um, variations. So I think it's something like that. And yes, and they're all star quilts based on the evening star or rising star, which is sort of like a double evening star. 
And so they're the basic star with a half square triangle point and a square in the middle. And, um, and I had already had a bunch of designs in my files that fit that category. So, um, so it was pretty easy to come up with those. These are, uh, this book is much easier than my previous book, which was uh, Lone Star Variations. And so um, these are, beginners can make these. But um, rather than just, I don't like quilts in, in just blocks in rows with sashes or something like that. I I'll, I usually like to have them floating on a background. And I play with their arrangement, making them in circular arrangements, things like that. So it was fun for me to work out the ways to take these basic shapes and put them in new new quilts. Well, and that's that's kind of something you're known for is is you know a little bit more complex patterns. So mm -hmm. what what's your creative process like when you're designing your quilts? Usually, uh, the part that gets me excited is doing something new. And i I've been doing I've been making quilts for more than fifty years. So the what is traditional is uh, you know, and having worked at the magazine and everything, I had had a good background in traditional. In fact, I was kind of heartbroken when I discovered how many things were already traditional and I could never do anything original again. <laughs> but then when you get to know that really well, then you know, oh, this is, I've never seen this before. And, and I kind of go off on my own thing. So I've done things like some of the things that were really popular that I did were um, taking a small star and superimposing it, actually piecing it into uh, a larger star, not necessarily in the middle, but somewhere else in the corner in, in an offset in the middle and things like that and I was pretty sure those were not traditional because traditional quilts tend to be more symmetrical than that and um, so I do a lot of that in my settings as well um, setting offsetting by a half block or um, set, arranging things to look like a circle but made with square and rectangular patches and that kind of thing. It, that's what excites me is coming up with something new. So I was glad when I finally discovered that I could indeed make new things. Because <laughs> that's what gets me going. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you brought I'm kind of glad you touched on that because I think a lot of people might describe your quilts as traditional without, um, you know, just at first glance. Uh, mm -hmm. Because they aren't like a field of white with one block or something. Uh, but they they really aren't necessarily traditional blocks. Like what to, what to you is a traditional quilt? Oh, like um, something that's always done the same way, like a wedding ring pattern that's, you know, in a, a certain way or a, uh, or like if I were to take those um, evening star blocks and put them in rows with sashing. Those are traditional quilts. Um, I call my quilts in the traditional style mm -hmm. because they are repeating blocks, which is a main big part of the traditional style. Um, but they are, they are original. And I don't know I don't think anybody considers my quilts art quilts or anything like that. Even if, even though they're original, they, they are in that traditional style. And 
I've just tweaked them and made them fresh. Yes. And fresh is good. (laughs) (laughs) It's good for Uh, me. (laughs) Well, and you said in a recent interview that um, part of the reason you use scraps is that it helps you to stay engaged. How does using scraps keep you more engaged than using, say, fresh yardage? Okay. Mine is fresh yardage. It's, I mean, I might have bought it a while ago, but it's fabric that I bought to make quilts. I don't cut up old dresses and aprons and things. And uh, so it is, um, they're made from, I might use 200 fabrics in a quilt, but they're fabric I bought for making quilts. And what keeps it fresh for me is um, if I were making a quilt from five fabrics, every block would be the same. And that bores me. I mean, I I already did that. I already saw that. You know, it's hard enough for me to finish a quilt um, at all. You know, what's what's easy is seeing what what it looks like. And once I've seen what it looks like, then the fun is gone. So to keep me engaged, if I make scrap, and I also like the look of scrap quilts, but I'll make them out of, like, I'll have a stack of darks and a stack of lights that I'm going to sew together. And I'll take the top two patches and look at them together. And I'll either say, yuck, or, ooh, I never thought those those would look good together, but they look great. And that's a learning thing. That's exciting. That keeps it fresh for me to um, learn. And I can, you know, even saying yuck is learning. I'll say, whoa, those are awful together. I'm never going to do this again. And, And so each pair that I do that is a little tiny learning experience. And it helps me grow and helps me make um, fresher quilts in the future. So I, that's what I find interesting. Well, and so so essentially you kind of, you are using yardage to make scrap quilts. But so I want to know, how do you go shopping for your fabric if you don't have a quilt in mind? Sometimes I, like this quilt, this book was all red, white, and blue quilts. So I knew what my, I have this fear that I'm going to run out of red or run out of blue. So I go shopping before I do the book so that I will still have. So every time I shop for fabric, I end up and and do a book. I end up with more fabric than I had before I made the quilts. (laughs) So if I start out with X amount of yardage after I do the book, I'm going to have X plus something amount of yardage because I was afraid I was going to run out and not have enough red or blue. So, uh, So I, I do shop some for this book. I would have shopped for red and blue um, and white. Um, But I um, generally, I do a lot of shopping when I'm on vacation trips and stuff. My family has learned that quilt shops are going to be a part of the vacation. I I just shop for things I like and I I have them all sorted by colors and styles in my stash. And then I usually, I, I usually sew just from my stash, but I build it up a little before I start. So do you always, and this is just me being nosy because it sounds, it's interesting. Um, Do you always (laughs) buy like yards and yards of a particular fabric or do you ever buy like fat quarter bundles or half yard bundles or anything? I never buy bundles because that's sort of curated by somebody else. I don't, and I don't like to use fabrics that were made for each other, like Mm. fabric lines. I like to, I like to get a little, you get a little tension, a little excitement from mixing things that are a little 
off from matching. And so um, in a scrap quilt, you can get away with that. You know, not in a five fabric quilt, you probably better match a little better than that. But in a scrap quilt, you want you want that um, you want a, a fabric here and there that like jumps out a little bit, not too much, but a little bit. And mm-hmm. otherwise, it doesn't even look like you bother. I mean, it's not worth making it out of scraps if you sorted them so closely. That's True. that's just my thinking. <laughs> I love it because I always wondered if if. And this is with a, more than one author that I've worked with. But if if the authors all make scrap quilts, where does the scrap come from if you only make scrap quilts? So it's just the chicken and the egg question that's always engaging. Oh, yeah. And I have, um, I, I am, at, at times I am totally disorganized, but at other times I am over overly organized. And in my sewing room, I have a whole, whole bookcase full of, Two box size plastic boxes labeled by sizes, and they have um, like one box will be all excess two and a half inch squares, or all you know two and a quarter inch diamonds, or whatever like that. So I have all their sizes, and sometimes if I don't, it isn't a common size. I'll have all the shapes of that size because you can tell the triangles from the diamonds easily mm-hmm. enough in the box, and. Um, so I have these and I usually start there because I, I have, I, there's usually something in the right color already cut because I don't know how many things, I always have extra patches cut because I don't know how big my quilt is going to be until I start making it. And usually how, how big it is depends, one, on how much is necessary to make the design work. I mean, some designs, like if I made a medallion quilt design, that would be the size that it would be. But if I were making like something with some kind of repeat blocks, it might um, it might be smaller if I'm not having fun, <laughs> and it might be bigger if it's lots of fun. <laughs> there you go. Now I know the secret to looking at all the quilts in your books. No, I'm just kidding. which are the ones I like. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. Um, well, and you know, when, and thank you for indulging me on the fabric questions, because, you know, we all love fabric and learning about how other people shop and use their fabric is, is really helpful in that you kind of get in a rut and you've got all this fabric. And so ideas on how to shake it up and use it in a different way is, is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, when you and I began working on your most recent book, you really, you started with just one quilt. You said this, I want this quilt in a new book. And then the rest of the book really just ended up, that quilt ended up shaping that whole collection. Is that how you normally work? Pretty close to that. Not necessarily that I want this quilt in the book, but there'll be something that I really want to make right now. And then, then, um, I'll look before I even start making that. I'll look in my files and see if I I get an idea. And sometimes my files are just the start. And then I'll take something and tweak that and then continue tweaking it until I get it just what I want. And then I'll see how that relates to the other quilt and see if I have a topic. So I usually my work is usually um, influenced by my previous work. It's a kind of a continuum continuum because I. one quilt leads to another. If it, there'll, I will. I have kind of an analytical mind, and it will say, "Well, what I did to get this pattern was 
play with this part of the design. And uh, if I did that on another pattern, what would I get? And so, so I get ideas from my previous. And then new things pop up. So. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because I, I completely understand how you think because <laughs> I follow the same sort of lines. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm not. I want to be got along so well. <laughs> exactly. Well, and it's one of, when one of these things is not like the other, it bothers me a lot, which is why I think you and I got along so well. Oh, <laughs> All okay. Things are just like the other. They're logical and they tie together. <laughs> yes, you know, I consider myself um, my creativity is more mathematical than. I mean, I was a good artists. I could draw portraits and things like that in, when I was young and did that kind of thing in school or whatever. I think mathematically more than anything else. So permutations and combinations. So mixing the elements and um, recombining things um, is a big part of what I do. I do the math so the reader doesn't have to. So <laughs> it's just, it, you know, that probably makes me a pariah among some people that I like math. <laughs> oh, no. In fact, um, it, you would be surprised how many of our quilting authors are, do have a, like a basis in math um, in terms oh, of their okay. education, um, uh-huh. education or interest, actually. And uh-huh. some of our books that tend to be the most popular, I happen to know, are based on math. Um, oh, it's just, well, and I think. That just makes me think one of the questions I wanted to ask you was that, you know, your quilts aren't necessarily easy, but they are popular. And I don't want to scare anybody who's listening off, because when I say they're not necessarily easy, what I mean is you're not you're not stacking up a whole lot of fabric, cutting big shapes and sewing simple shapes together. So. But you are repeating. But I do that. I do that. It's just a different shape. But I do. Yes. I do that. I stack up four fabrics and I mm-hmm. cut four, three or four is sort of my maximum. Um, but I, I do stack them up and, and it, it isn't hard. It's just um, maybe not what they're used to. I like to give people confidence that they can go beyond those basic shapes. The skills exactly. are all basic skills. If and, Exactly. And, and I don't, uh, don't, always use strip piecing or something for a large part I don't do that because I am I'm doing scrap quilts and you can't get that scrap look with with too much of the strip piecing but I yeah. do so so I don't always do things what what people think are the shortcut ways but um they aren't really hard do you have any ideas on or or theories on why they're really popular, even though they're maybe not necessarily easy looking. Okay, I do, and and my son gave me permission one time when I I always thought I had to have stuff easy, easy enough for people to make, and and he said, well, just make what you like, and I find that when I make what I like, no matter how hard it is, people will make it. Um, they have to be motivated to make it. And what motivates them is, wow, that's a neat design. And so, um, so I kind of given myself permission to go there um, because I have found that my customers do go there. Maybe not everybody goes there, 
but a lot of people do. And in fact, some of my most popular quilts, I have one that, like, I don't think there's a seam in it that's not a set-in seam. It, oh, it's really, it, it's just full of set-in seams. And um, tons of people have made it. it it's, it's just, it, it spoke to them and they thought. And I, I always say set-in seams aren't hard if your seam allowance is good. If you if you're accurate and, and so I always say the best thing that you can do and that will let you go anywhere in quilting is get your seam allowance right. And you can do this in half an hour. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just I I have people sew um nine squares of the same size, like nine one and a half inch squares together, and then cut out also a one and a half by nine and a half inch rectangle and see if they're the same length. If they're not the same length, you need to adjust your seam allowance, even if it's a perfect quarter inch, because there's take up and you have to allow a little bit for that. And it's just usually a thread's width or two. It's not much, but if you get that right, and I found that there are some patterns like log cabins that are concentric and build out from the center, seem to um, need a skimpier seam allowance than um, other some other patterns that are made in rows or something. And so you have to kind of test for what you're going to be doing. And you get that right and everything falls into place, even set in seams. Okay. That explains why I love log cabin quilts. And sometimes the blocks Uh really frustrate me. (laughs) Uh Well, you know, the other thing I do, I've written three, three log cabin books. And um, what I do when I make a log cabin, and this is what I do when I make any quilt. But when I make a log cabin, I really stress to people to to not just sew on a strip to the block and cut it off. That's actually more work than cutting through a stack of fabric. You know, you can cut four logs to the right length in one stroke instead of, you know, doing it after you sew it on. And it is a good um, way to keep yourself accurate because every time you sew a log on it should fit and so I pin at both ends and make sure that it fits um and doing that keeps you it 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 tells you right away if on by the third log it tells you oh my seam allowance is too deep okay so you fix it you fix it there and then wow it just falls into place all of it and you don't even have to pin it if you if they're short enough to hold both ends, you can do that. So, oh, excellent. So let me ask you: When do you for your seam allowances? Do you eyeball them, or do you have a guide, or like how do you keep track of it? Um, I have never had a sewing machine that had a quarter inch foot. Um, I have always had. I used to use a Singer Featherweight, with which has a really narrow foot, and now I have a, a Juki that has a narrow foot. And um, they do, this Juki has a, a throat plate with uh, lines on it for following, but I don't use them. I, I use them to put a piece of electrical tape on my sewing machine. And uh, I usually just go slightly shallower than that. So I have to put two pieces of tape down. I put one piece of tape so I can see that I'm just right next to that quarter inch line. And then I put another piece of tape next to my tape and pull off the first tape because that covers the feed dogs. It's it's on the wrong side of the line. 
Oh, okay. okay. So, so I pull that up. And the reason I use electrical tape is because it sticks for a really long time and it doesn't leave residue like masking tape does. So, um, oh, okay. Anyway, so I use a tape guide. Uh, and I know you can get other kind of guides and then you can get a quarter inch foot, but I'm not using the quarter inch anyway. So why would I want a quarter inch foot? So I don't eyeball it. I use this guide and I, I get it once and I really don't change it. I don't change it when I'm making log cabins. I, I use that for everything and it works fine. <laughs> Excellent. Um, those are really good tips. Are there anything, mm -hmm. are there any other like little tricks and tidbits to getting it right uh getting the seam allowance right getting um, any of it right because you were telling me that the seam oh. allowance is what makes the set-in seams not so hard oh but. oh pins pins are important um mm -hmm. i have found the finer the pin the better so i use a really fine pin and i throw away a whole lot of pins because if the sewing machine ever you know hits it it's gonna bend it um and even just using it long enough will bend it. But uh, I, I use fine pins and throw them away when I can't use them anymore. And um, and I don't have a big head on them. They're just those little ones that are hard to find. You just have to wave a magnet around the floor when, you know, when you don't want anybody <laughs> to step on them. Because they're, they're hard to see and hard to, you know, whatever. They're not, they're not easy to find when you drop them. But they do... Um, they, what what they do that differently is they don't make such a hump to um, sew over. Mm -hmm. The machine doesn't have to waddle over them. Um, it, it it it's I don't know. It just seems to work better with smaller pins. Gotcha. I'll have to get your. I'll have to wait around in the pin section and and see if I can find one so it'll work better. Then yeah. Um, is, is currently I go with the cheaper the better, so that might not work. Well, that, that would be well. good. They'd probably be cheaper because they're small. <laughs> Don't take as much metal. <laughs> there you go. Maybe they are good then. Uh, excellent. Well, thank you. Those are on. Um, those are just me being greedy. Going, <laughs> I get to talk to Judy. Let me find out what I can do better. Yeah. Uh, well, and you you have taught a lot of people um, through your books, your patterns, your you know your magazine writing. Um the best way to kind of do things, the, the, the better way to do things or an easier way to do things. Um, and you've published a lot of patterns. Um, mm -hmm. So at this point, you know, you've got a lot of a very large body of work. Mm -hmm. Have you given any thought to what you want your legacy to look like? I hope that I influence people to um, make the best quilts they can. And instead of making the most quilts they can, they make the best quilts they can. I recently had a, an email conversation with a reader who said, what do you do with all your quilts? I don't know what to do with all my quilts. And, and we ended up coming to the conclusion that we were both going to continue making quilts, even though we didn't really need any more quilts, but we needed to make them. And she decided she was going to make harder quilts so she wouldn't have so many quilts for her heirs to have to deal with. And uh, I don't think any heirs would mind dealing with quilts, but probably nicer quilts would be better. So why not make them take a little more time and be an heirloom? 
So that's kind of my philosophy. I would like people to have the confidence to go there, to be, and I also give a lot of options in my books because I want quilters to have that same joy that I have from straying from the pattern and doing something that's me. And they can do that starting with the pattern and say, but I'm going to do this instead. And it makes you feel so creative. I I think that I would like my readers to feel that. No, and I I think you do a nice job of that. Um, Thank you. With 80, with almost double the amount of content in alternative <laughs> ways to do things, look at things, variations on patterns, ways to teach it to others. I think there's a fair bit out, out there. Um, yeah. Well, you have another philosophy that I recently read um, that I wanted to talk about for a little bit. And you, it said, you said um, she, meaning you, buys more fabric than she'll ever use. Asks her husband just to pull a sweater over it when his shirt loses a button. Irons clothes only for weddings and funerals and has gotten over feeling guilty about any of this. Um, I love that quote. Uh, <laughs> can you talk about I'll, how you... I'll tell you a little story. One time my daughter was playing with a neighbor kid. And uh, when I came to pick her up, the, the neighbor kid's mom said, you know, your daughter has a little rip in her jacket. You want me to fix that for you? And I had to laugh because, you know, I have a sewing machine. I do know how to fix her jacket. It's just not one of my priorities. Uh (laughs) And, um, and, you know, having neighbors volunteer to fix my kids' clothes, I just had to laugh. And that sort of um, embarrassed me into fixing her jacket. But um, it is, uh, I love making quilts. I do not love making clothes anymore. I bribed my kids to not make them Halloween costumes after, you know, I made it my daughter, this elaborate witch costume. We live in a cold climate. So she had to have a a reversible heavy cape to wear over it and, and all this stuff. And it cost me, I think it cost me $80 for all the materials to make this. And, and then a lot of time. And, and uh, the next year I said to the kids, here's $20. You can buy your costume at Walmart if you want, or you can keep the money and spend it on whatever you want and make something out of a cardboard box or whatever you can find. And, um, and we, ne- I never had to make another Halloween costume and they were happy to have the $20. So they did not buy a ready-made costume. They figured something out. So, so that was, that was good on all fronts. Um, I, there is no, not enough time in the world to worry or do things you don't, have to do or want to do. I mean, we have enough money that we could buy another shirt. I also don't feel guilty about collecting uh, fabric or collecting quilts. I, I mean, it, I'm feeling a little pressure now that I'm getting older to the, that I'm, I, I know for a fact that I have more fabric than I'll have time to use. But, and I have curtailed some of my fabric buying, but I, um, I like collecting fabric. Fabric is like um, potential. It, and a, a quilt um, eliminates all the other potentials that the fabric had. You know, like it could be any any number of things, but I did this with it. So, so the quilt is no longer potential when it's a quilt, but at least you can wrap yourself up in it. So there, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I think that, that 
worrying and feel, feeling guilty doesn't do any good. And um, if I don't want to make something, I'll make cookies and they'll be happy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I think I think that quote really uh, really had a lot of impact for me because a lot of my friends are struggling with the guilt, you know, and I think that's something that is very, uh, very ubiquitous for females that, you know, you, Mm -hmm. there's a list of things you feel like you should do. And when you don't do it, you feel guilty, but yet the world doesn't actually end if you don't do those things (laughs) and you do something else instead. (laughs) Right. Oh no. But yeah, when I read that, I was just like, that is such a great way to put it, you know? (laughs) Um, um, the other thing yes, that I heard something okay. should bring you joy and mm-hmm. and uh, and and not you know if if you buy fabric and your husband's not happy about that I, I don't know maybe you should find another husband <laughs> I don't I don't know if it you know if it's that bad but my husband has been very accepting of all of this and um, and I remember one time. Uh, we went somewhere and had to wait outside and it was cold and um, I didn't have a sweater and he had a jacket, but he couldn't take it off because his button was missing. His shirt was missing a button. <laughs> so, so I had to suffer for that, but <laughs> would have given me his jacket, but, but his shirt was missing a button. So um, anyway, there you go. I, you know, yeah. It's all, it all should be fun. You, your whole life should, you should make fun with your life. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, And I had heard that you enjoy playing board games. I do. (laughs) Which are your favorite? Oh, that I play Euro games. I don't know if people are, you know, like um, some of the more common ones are Ticket to Ride and Settlers of Catan. Um, And I go way beyond that. I have hundreds of games. And, um, And yeah, before the pandemic, we were going... Oh, a couple times a month, we would have um, maybe three times a month. We'd have game parties at our house or at another friend's house or another one with just people who came to play these kinds of games from, you know, 11 o'clock until 10 o'clock, you know, on some Saturday. So we we do a lot of that and we play with each other. And um, we um, we we play a lot of two player games. It's my husband and I and and. My son lives in another state, so we don't play games with him as often. But um, and our daughter has Down syndrome, so we there are certain kinds of games that are we call open face, where like Settlers of Canton, where she draws a tile and she looks at it and sees where she can place it, and we can help her place it in the best place. And mm-hmm. um, and so we we play games that are easier for her to. Um, win but she's perfectly happy just playing a game and not winning she she knows how to to do the gameplay on a whole lot of games doesn't know how to win them or use strategy very much like her strategy on ticket to ride is to keep the smallest tickets they'll be easier to make but you won't win with small tickets so that kind of thing is uh, is hampering her ability to win, but she still manages to win sometimes. And wow. we have even won, we won a game design contest with a big game publisher and uh, did a game oh, called nice. Quilt Show. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! Yeah, and you um, you collect um, cards that are fabric in different colors, 
and um, to and then you exchange when you have enough of those, you exchange like the right number of um, uh, fabrics of, the, of a single color to make a block of a certain color, and then you you buy the blocks uh, or you make the blocks from turning in your your fabric cards, and then you get get more blocks and you make a quilt. The quilt has to have at least three blocks in this game, and um, and it has to be you can't have like a five block quilt. That's too long, you know. It's too long and narrow. You have to make like a wall quilt, a table quilt. You know, there, there are these various sizes that work. So, oh, fun! Is it going to come out commercially? Oh, it's been. It's already out. It's oh, from a Real Grande Games. Very cool. It, I did not know that about you. Yes. Um, well, yes. We we designed it together, my husband and I, and um, it's uh, it's very much based on. Uh, um, we pitched the, we in order to uh, enter this contest. We pitched the design, the, the finalists pitched the idea to the publisher, and um, and then he he said, "Is that the way quilters do it?" And and he had us tweak it a little to make it even more the way quilters do it. And so then when there's a quilt show, a, a quilt show happens a couple of times, two three times during the game, and you have to um, assemble your blocks into quilts and enter them in the show. And there, there are different prizes for different shows. And so it's very much like real quilters and real, you know, they, they buy fabric, they, they make blocks, they put the blocks into quilts and they enter them in shows and they win awards. And the one with the most money wins. And uh, so um, it's not popular with all gamers because they think quilting is a weird Thing to game about you know it's not like i don't know zombies or something and um you know it's no trains no zombies but it's 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 really um the mechanics are a bit like ticket to ride um and so um it, it has an audience and, and people were buying it for their quilting friends so oh very cool I'm glad I asked about the games. We play a lot of board games too. So I was just interested to hear which ones are your favorites. Yes. So um, it plays two to four players. It's about half an hour to a little over an hour, hour and a quarter. And um, yeah, we, we had fun with that. That was, (laughs) that was exciting getting published by a game company, a real honest to goodness game company. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no. And that's something completely different than what you normally do. So that has to be pretty fun. Yes. Um, I also read that you love sketching architectural and furniture designs. Yes. I don't do the, you know, I started doing floor plans, um, house plans and stuff. When I was 12 years old, I was just fascinated with it. My dad discouraged me from, he said, I'd have to take drafting in high school if I did that something like that. I don't know what he said, but um, my sister was the um, scientific one. She was a NASA scientist with a PhD in geochemistry and stuff. Uh, But, but he didn't think that I could become an architect. So I never even tried, but um, I do like doing that because I, I visualize what the house looks like when I draw a floor plan, you know, I know this is what 
the rooms, it's like walking through the rooms. I can see it all. I envision it all. So that was exciting. I haven't done that since I finally got my kitchen remodeled. I, I live in a house that was built in 1903 and it had a kitchen from probably 1950. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was pretty awful when we moved in. And I think we bought the house in 93 and finally in 2010, we got the kitchen. So I haven't paid much as much attention to designing after I got my dream kitchen. And uh, so I don't do a lot of that anymore, but I did for a while when I was still dreaming of what my kitchen could one day be. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so glad that we made it a big kitchen. We don't have, we didn't feel like we needed an eating in area. It didn't have an eating area. It had a bathroom in the kitchen, just a little uh, half bath. Mm -hmm. Um, and we took that space and made it a bigger kitchen. So we have more counters and, and I have a dedicated place for, I have a big walk-in pantry and a dedicated place for um, recycling and, and all sorts of stuff. And a baking counter right under the nice sunny window and with no cupboards over it. I don't like banging my heads against cupboards. So, um, <laughs> so for that baking area, because I do a lot of baking, I, I, I did that. And we didn't put a kitchen area. I mean, an eating area in the kitchen, no counter or anything for it. And um, my son has turned into a real foodie and he's an excellent cook. And um, when we, he usually gives us experiences for Christmas and when he comes home and, and it's usually um, the whole family getting together in the kitchen. And now it's big enough that we can all get together in the kitchen and we'll make something. And so we'll make, um, homemade tamales or, or some ethnic food, you know, we, we're always making ethnic feasts from different, you know, Italian or Spanish or um, Indian or whatever. And uh, we'll make the naan from scratch and everything. And so it's really fun to have the kitchen that we can all do that together in. So. <laughs> I know, I know what you mean. My, my house is from 1900 and when we moved in, our kitchen was for, you know, from circa like rubbish tip. It was awful. <laughs> Someday I'll dig out, I'll dig out some photos and I'll share with you because it was crazy town. I have a photo uh, right after we moved in and I could still do this kind of thing. I stood up on the counter and showed the upper cupboards because we have really high ceilings in our house, like 12 foot ceilings. Mm-hmm. And the cupboards went all the way up to the ceiling and I could barely reach them when I was standing on the counter. So those were where you put the Christmas, um, you know, gear that you only got down once a year. <laughs> um, we didn't yeah. put everyday cr- cooking things there. No, I hear you. We, we've got those same cabinets. And actually, those were ones that I commissioned and had put in because I'm tall. And with a step mm-hmm. stool, I can really reach them. And now mm-hmm. they're crazy hiding places for cats who can somehow get them open and climb in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's a it's yeah but no I know what you mean it's you do doodle you know your fantasy rooms until you get them Um, right so now that you're finished with red white and blue quilts what's next do you have any any shows or anything else coming up or I do I have um an exhibit of the quilts from red white and blue star quilts um it will be almost all of them not quite all of them and uh it will be in Marion, Indiana at the Quilters Hall of Fame celebration, July 21st to 23rd. 
and the quilt will be at the nearby um, United Methodist Church in their parlor, where they'll there will have a lot of the a lot of the quilt exhibits are in places outside the museum, and mm-hmm. so there are several venues around town. And this you can just walk from the from the museum to this uh, place, and it's right right by the library, and um, so on on th- Thursday. Let's see. Thursday at 1.30 and Friday at 3 o'clock, I'll be doing a walkthrough of these exhibits. And um, so I'll be talking about where the designs came from and who made them and, you know, uh, various things about the quilts and uh, how they relate to the other quilts and things like that. Well, excellent. And um, for anybody who's been listening to this, you know, from the beginning, they'll know that I'm from Indiana, so I actually get to drive up and see you and see all the quilts in person, which I almost never get to do. I always wondered if it was in, if you see quilts in person or you see quilts in quilt. I mean, mm-hmm. you see people in person, but are are they talking about you or are they talking about <laughs> the other person? Yeah. So is it I in know. quilt? <laughs> well, it kind of depends. Um, you know, obviously pre-pandemic, I would get to go to a number of shows. You know, I've been to Paducah a few times. I've been to a couple other quilt shows, Quilt Market, Quilt Con. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you do get to see people. You know, you get to feel and you love to touch the quilts. And then you meet mm-hmm. people in person. And obviously for the past couple of years, I haven't gotten to do that. So I'm excited that we're kind of starting back up and, and getting back out there. I hope it's safe to do so but um yes yeah and i hope i hope that it's safe enough that they continue to, that, that they will indeed have this show because uh there have been shows that were canceled for the pandemic so um i i hope that it's fine i think things are getting more back to normal i think so and that's um it's not a very big metrop you know metropolitan area so i think it'll probably be a little bit better i think so Yeah. Well, I will definitely see you there. And then for anybody who isn't able to make it to that show, is there anything else you have coming up? Um, Not right now. That's as far out as I have planned. And um, I don't have another book planned at the moment. I I didn't, I thought my last book before Red, White, and Blue Star Quilts was going to be my last book. But then when the pandemic came along, I I needed a project to get me through the pandemic. Um, so I'm not sure if I'll have another book out, but I am going to um, rework material into eBooks. I have a, um, and my, I'm working on a new website. I'm going to have a lot of um, content. I'm going to talk about my, my, how to design quilts. I'm going to have a lot of information for um, people to learn from on my website when, when I get the new one. But my, my son was doing it for us. And then he got a new job that's pretty demanding. So it's taking a long time. So I'm not sure when I'll have my new website up. I still have my old one, but um, well, there will be more content when I get the new one. Excellent. So well, I'll be working on that okay. and reshape the material uh, to put there. Well, and speaking of websites, um, if somebody wants to see your work, wants to see more of your work, wants to just, you know, see what those extras are, get in Uh touch with you, all of the above. What, what are the best places to do that? Well, I have um, right now two websites. Judymartin.com is my main website. 
J-U-D-Y-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. And uh, you can use the contact form there, uh, info at judymartin.com to write to me. Uh, I have another website that is judymartinebooks.com. And that is just um, some e-books like my encyclopedia. I have one of all, uh, assembling all my, um, I used to put up free block of the months on my website and those have been all assembled into any book. And I have a a book called Log Cabin Inspirations where I just show all photos of all the log cabin quilts. I've made tons of log cabin quilts (laughs) and I show photos from all the books and show, um, um, and I have in the log cabin inspirations, I, I do have the, the, some charts um, for the basic log cabin, but a lot of my log cabins use original blocks, so they, it doesn't really have patterns for those, but it does show photos to show you how you can take the log cabin in another direction. And um, I think that's like about 100 some pages. 101 or some something like that. And uh, I have another one called Border Inspirations where because I I wrote a book on peace borders with Marsha McCloskey a long time ago. And um, since since 1994, I've put peace borders on the majority of my quilts, not all of them, but the majority of them. And so this is just a collection showing photographs of of peace borders with a little discussion of how it relates to the quilt and, and, you know, that kind of thing. So um, it it isn't a how to for making peace borders. It's just like, if you already think, usually peace borders are made from the patches that are in the quilt anyway. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it doesn't really tell you how to make them fit or anything. It just tells you. um, And that once again, peace borders, uh, the way you make them fit is to have your seam allowance, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm sure that I, that would be something I could, um, you know, improve upon. (laughs) All right. So excellent. Um, All right. So I will put all of that into the description. So anybody who's listening, um, we'll put links to the um, upcoming quilt show. We will put links to Judy's website and her ebook site. And as I think about it, I'll put in links or information for other things. So definitely okay, check out great. the description. There'll be lots of good stuff there. Okay. I hope you can get this down to a half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thank you, Judy. I really appreciate You're very it. Well. All right. Good questions. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. This is Roxy Serta. Thanks for listening to Behind the Scenes. Want to know more about our outstanding group of authors and their books? Visit us online at CT Publishing, on Instagram, Twitter, our CNT Publishing channel, on YouTube, or on our website at ctpub.com.